Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, and we are full of gratitude towards you for the many blessings that we enjoy, especially during this time of year. We thank you for the myriads of people around this world who are singing your praises. They may not be doing it the rest of the year, but they are currently singing about you. And we join with all of those in lifting up the name of the Lord Jesus. Today you have blessed us with your presence. You have blessed us with your Holy Spirit. And we, in turn, have endeavored to bless you with praise and worship. Today we also will open up the pages of your written word so that we can see and hear what your Holy Spirit wants us to see and hear. So open our ears and our minds, and I pray for your anointing, that you would cover me with your anointing that would uh, enable me to speak what you want me to speak. Thank you for this day and this time. And I pray in the name of Jesus, and everyone said, everyone said, amen, because of Christmas. The truth is, that title could be a 52-week series. Um, But I wanted us today, we, we have a lot of things that we typically think about when we think of because of Christmas. Um. And so I want, we're going to go through a, a few things today. Uh, for, I want us just to understand that because of Christmas, these things happen. So we're going to meditate on the results of Christmas with our being the beneficiaries of Christ's obedience. Uh, that will cause us to count our blessings, count our many blessings, due to the advent of Christmas. This is obviously a time of year when we have some of the warm and fuzzy times, which are great. I wish we had more warm and fuzzies. It's a time of year when, when people, some people's behavior changes, some for the better and some for the worse. But it's a time of year that causes people to understand and, and count their blessings. I hope by the time we're done that we can rejoice in the life that we now live because of Christmas. You've heard me say even recently that we need to make sure we don't leave Jesus in the manger. We don't need to ignore the manger. We don't need to ignore the fact that Jesus came as a baby, a real baby, a real human being, uh, in every way that we are except without sin. And so maybe this gives us a clearer view of what Christmas means to us, and if that's If that's true, then we can truly celebrate this season with joy and with gratitude. We want to see that because of Christmas, so much opened up to us. You know, you understand there would be no cross without the cradle. There would be no cross without the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. There would be no resurrection unless there's the birth of Christ. You say, well, that's kind of simple. Well, you just defined me. Simple. But it's obvious. And sometimes we, we are oblivious to the obvious. 
because of Christmas. This, what we're going to cover today, five, five characteristics or aspects of because of Christmas is nowhere near exhaustive. Again, we could probably do this 52 weeks and still not cover it all. But I'm going to cover five aspects today of Jesus coming. And because of Christmas, we have these things. And the first one we're going to cover, well, first of all, I'll tell you what. Let's read from Matthew 1, and then we'll cover it. Matthew 1, uh, verse 18. If you would stand with me while we read the Scripture. I'm going to read through verse 25, and I'm reading once again from the English Standard Version. Now the birth of Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken about the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name, everybody say it, Jesus. You can be seated. Jesus. There's so much there that I'm, not, I'm going to avoid dealing with um, but I wanted to read the Christmas story from Matthew's perspective. Luke, being a physician, Luke gives us a really detailed account of the birth and the, the nativity. Matthew, being a former tax collector, he just gives us the quick and short, gives us the facts, the birth of Jesus. So first of all, because of Christmas, we see the arrival of the last Adam. What in the world does that got to do with Christmas? Because without Christmas, there is no last Adam. The first Adam, obviously, is the father of all mankind. The first Adam is we all are, are connected to him as our predecessor, as our ancestor, the first Adam. I, I have mistakenly at times talked about the second Adam. And I've heard people mention the second Adam. I don't get too bent out of shape. Except for this, there is no third Adam. There's only the last Adam. First Adam, the last Adam. And because, while Adam is the father of all mankind, Jesus is the father of redeemed mankind. You okay with that? Uh, turn in your whatever to 1 Corinthians 15 phone, tablet, Bible, whatever it is. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to wait on you. Okay, now I'm reading. I'm just kidding. I want you to see this. I, don't, I, don't, I want you to not just hear me read it. I want you to see this. 
We're going to jump in the middle of a, of a writing, but just, just so we can see. Uh, chapter 15, verse 45, and we'll read, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being or a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. There's a principle there, by the way. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That's good. Because of Christmas, the last Adam appears on the scene. And Adam was the, uh, Adam fell, we know he fell in the garden. And uh, he, he was uh, counted as the, the, the one who, cre- who committed the error as he stood by and watched his wife do something that God told him not to do. And so the Bible says, New Testament says that Eve was deceived, but Adam made a choice. Adam made a conscious, deliberate choice to commit the sin. And so because of that, Adam was the author of all mankind being made sinners. He was the beginning when he, when he disobeyed God and he immediately recognized that he was naked. We're, we're going through uh, the Agape Road on Wednesday nights in our home group. And uh, one of the things Bob Mumford likes to talk about is that we are, as human beings and as fleshly human beings, we, we are given to being self-referential. Of course, I, I said what that means is navel-gazing. If you're gazing at your navel, you're kind of self-absorbed. And when Adam sinned, he, was, he became self-referential and suddenly realized something that he didn't realize before because it didn't matter because it wasn't about him. All of a sudden it became about him, and he became self-referential. Adam was the author of mankind being made sinners, but through Jesus many were made righteous, or many are made righteous through Jesus. The first man, Adam, brings sin. The second and last Adam brings righteousness. I'm one of these people that I think one of the greatest commentaries on Scripture is Scripture. Is okay with that? And sometimes you need interpretation of Scripture, and sometimes it's just plain. Watch this one. For as through the one man's disobedience, what man is that? Okay. The many, who is that? Us and a lot of other folks, were made sinners. Even so... Through the obedience of the one, the many will be made righteous. Through the one became sin. Through the, through the one comes righteousness. The last Adam. Adam failed at his mission. I mean, you say, well, didn't God know he was going to do that? Absolutely he knew he was going to do that. But it had to give the opportunity. If we're not a people who have a free will, that we're not a people of God. And so God creates mankind with a free will, knowing in his sovereignty and in his wisdom that man was going to fail. And you've heard me say it, I'll say it again. 
that Jesus was not plan B. It wasn't, let's put Adam in the garden. Oops, he messed up. We've got to come up with something else. Never was that way. The Bible says Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Jesus was always plan A. Everybody say plan A. Jesus was always plan A. Adam fell. Adam sinned. He failed at his mission. Jesus, on the other hand, forevermore succeeded at his mission. What was his mission? Come to the earth, be obedient to his father, please his father, do what his father says to do, become the substitutionary sacrifice for all of mankind, and allow the Holy Spirit to raise him from the dead and exalt him to the Father. We'll get to that in a little while. He succeeded. The first man, Adam, failed. The second one did not. In Adam, we're part of the earthly race. All of us are part of the earthly race because of Adam. But in Jesus, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. As the scripture said, we are part of, the, of heaven because we are connected to the, to the last Adam, as, the, as uh, Paul wrote there in Corinthians. Let me read that again. As was the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. As is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. We have borne the image of the man of the dust. We shall bear the image of the man of heaven. We do both today. We bear the image of both. But there would be no both, and there would be no last Adam, if it wasn't for Christmas. Had he had to come to do that. The second thing that I want to talk about is because of Christmas, the kingdom of God is near us. The kingdom is near us. Now, a better word that I like to use here is that the kingdom of God is accessible. There's a reason Jesus, in teaching his disciples to pray, there's a reason he said, your kingdom come, your, king, your will be done on earth like it is in heaven. There was something Jesus wanted to be shifted. There was, there, were, there, was a, there was no kingdom of God or the characteristics of the kingdom of God prevalent in the world until the king got here. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. Some of your versions there will say preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is accessible. I substitute there, so don't throw rocks. The kingdom of God is accessible. Repent and believe in the gospel. So here's the king, because of Christmas, he's a grown man, he arrives on the scene, and he begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he says the kingdom is now, which meant it wasn't before, it is now accessible, it is now near at hand. It can be a part of our life. Spiritual Life Bible says Jesus announced the inauguration of a new era of salvation, of which repentance and belief in the gospel were prerequisites. Prior to the kingdom of God being that which is the, the government of the earth, the characteristics of the kingdom of darkness prevailed, which are wrath, rebellion, confusion, injustice, anxiety, and sorrow. 
when you've got a king, you're not governed by those things. Characteristics of God's kingdom, by the way, are love, joy, peace, order, justice, and righteousness. What kingdom are we subject to? What kingdom are we a part of? And I would submit to you today that even though we were born again into the kingdom of God, sometimes we edge back into the kingdom of darkness because we believe the lies of the devil. We, we don't trust God. We don't have the ability to trust God. And so we, we edge back over here. But I want to tell you, your rightful place is a place where there's no darkness, where there's joy and there's peace and there's order and there's righteousness. And, and what is the kingdom of God and where is the kingdom of God? It's wherever God's will is being done through his love, power, and provision. Wherever Jesus is the king, wherever the lordship of Jesus reigns, that's the kingdom of God in our lives. There would be no kingdom near us if it wasn't for Christmas. Jesus coming as a baby and being born as a human being opened the way for you and for me to live in this kingdom with a benevolent, caring king, a a king who has his constituents' well-being at heart. Next Sunday, we'll talk about peace, the peace that comes from Christmas. Shalom. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict, but it's our well-being. It's our completeness. It's our wholeness. And Jesus came to bring that. The third thing that I saw because of Christmas is that the law is fulfilled in us. The law, the Mosaic law, or the content of the law, is fulfilled in us. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I hear people, I still hear people. Well, that's in the Old Testament. That don't count. Okay. Well, anyway, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. It's all together. Old Testament is just as much as the anointed Word of God as the New Testament. And when Paul writes in in Timothy that... uh, all scriptures inspired by God and is profitable for what's you know on and on and on. There was no New Testament. He's talking about the Old Testament. Okay, back to what I was trying to do. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota and not a dot will pass from the law. Until all, everybody say all, is accomplished. Where is the law going to be fulfilled? Through us. In us. It's not just an abstract. Well, over there in that corner, I see God's law was fulfilled. It can't be fulfilled without a person. It's fulfilled in people. When the law was given, it was given to people. I know it was written on a stone tablet, but it was written for people to read. I still have some copies of my series out there on the Ten Commandments if you're interested. He says, Paul writes in Romans 8, this is so good. It may not be good to you, but I'm enjoying it. Again, the best commentary on Scripture, I think, is Scripture, but watch what Paul writes. For God has done what the law 
weakened by the flesh, could not do. Recognize the law is not what's weak. The law is not defective. The content of God's prescribed way of life is not defective. It's our flesh that is weak and defective. So he says what the law couldn't do because of our weak flesh, by sending his own son, what is that if it's not Christmas? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, likeness because he was not sinful, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. In order. I love it when he says something, and then he says, in order. In order that the righteous requirement of the law. Everybody say that with me. The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. You, however, this is just clarification, by the way, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. He sends his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, in order that the righteous requirements and the content of the law that God gave can now be fulfilled in us. Why? Because we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Hope you're seeing that. But sending his own son is because of Christmas. You say, well, I don't know that I've obeyed all the law. That's not the point. The point is that it was and is fulfilled in you and me. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. Obviously, we, we, you know, by the Holy Spirit's help, we want to have character. We want to be obedient and we want, we want to be moral and all those things. But primarily, it's fulfilled in us because of Jesus and what he did. Lord, help me. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5, He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He did not know sin, but he became sin. Notice that it didn't say he just became our sins or he didn't just take our sins, although he did. But he, came, he became the very embodiment of sin. And at that moment that he became the very embodiment of sin, he cried out, my, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment he was carrying all the sin, not just all the sins, but all the sin of mankind on himself. And he became sin. And he was in that moment. He was abandoned by his father because of the sin. Now, he was vindicated a little while later and when he came out, walked out of the grave by the tomb. But we might become the righteousness of God in him. Say, I am the righteousness of God in Jesus. He said, I don't feel that. It doesn't matter what you feel. That's what the scripture says. Because of Christmas, you've become the righteousness of God in Christ. You exchanged coats 
with Jesus. Jesus took your garment of sin, and he bore it on the cross, and he handed you his garment of righteousness, and he said, wear it proud because of Christmas. And the law is fulfilled in us, so now we are the righteousness of God, which leads us to the fourth thing, and that is that Christ in you, Christ in us. This is only possible because of our being made the righteousness of God and the righteous requirement of the law being fulfilled in us. It's only possible because of that that we now can say, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, not just Christ in heaven, not just Christ in the Bible, not just Christ in the manger, Christ in you. Say, Christ in me. The hope of glory, the hope of your glory is Christ in you. There's no Christ in you unless there's a Christmas. Talking about internal joy and internal peace. We're not talking about an absence of conflict. The Bible talks about in Galatians, I'm not going to read it, but it says instead of sexual immorality and impurity and sensuality and idolatry and sorcery and enmity and strife and jealousy and fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions and envy and drunkenness and orgies. I feel like I need a bath. I didn't write that. Paul wrote it, by the way. Instead of all that, because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, now we're given to love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Doesn't that feel better? I'm not, I'm not the least bit delusional in the fact that sometimes we don't creep back into the other list. It's interesting to me that Paul writes the two lists. One's longer than the other one. But I'm not delusional in thinking that we never creep, as human beings, we never put our big toe back into the other list. Well, I want to tell you that the fruit, everybody say fruit, fruit. the results of Christ in you, the hope of glory, the results of the work of the Holy Spirit in you, the result of that is love, joy, peace, so forth. Galatians 5.22 if you're taking notes. And if you're taking those, Colossians 1.27 is where it says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's God himself in the person of Jesus Christ, directly and personally present in our lives. God himself in the, in the lives of his people. This can't happen unless there's Christmas. This can't happen unless the birth of Christ comes, Christ does his work and returns to heaven. Because of that, that God himself dwells in us. And then Jeremiah 31, I did, this just amazes me. Every time I read it, I read it two or three times. And I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Everybody say new now, think about it. We're reading this in 2019 with our, with our toes. We're hanging tin on the end of the surfboard, and our toes are in 2020. This is, you know, allow me that. Imagine you're in Jeremiah's day. You don't even like Jeremiah to begin with. 
I mean, they dig holes and put him in it because he says things they don't like. He's called the weeping prophet, in my opinion, because he dies without having one uh, word that he ever spoke responded to positively. Not one. Not one time did he prophesy to the people of Israel and they say, oh, yeah, that's what God says. We better do that. No, never. Not once. Until after his death. I'd be weeping too, I guess. So here's this group of people, and he says, I'm going to make a new covenant. Well, to us New Testament people, we see that, but they didn't see it. I'm making a new covenant. What's wrong with the old one? This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I'll put it within them, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I will write my laws, and I'll put them in their minds, and I will write them on their hearts. And you've heard me say, so now what we have is we have, instead of an external set of rules and regulations that we've got to do check marks and be judged by, now we have an internal motivation and direction from the inside out. And this is why... When you do something that you're not supposed to do, you get convicted. You feel bad. I was thinking the other day about when we were first married, we were renting from some folks that we went to church with. That's not always a great idea, by the way. But, uh, and and uh, I don't remember what it was about, but somehow I got crossways with our landlady. I said some things to her that she didn't want to hear. I didn't want to hear them either. I wonder where they came from when they came out of my mouth. But it wasn't nice. I felt bad. I felt horrible. You know, you spend a few minutes, well, bless God, they shouldn't have done that. You spend a few minutes doing that. But ultimately, if you recognize what's going on inside of you, you recognize, I shouldn't have done that. I should not have said that. And I felt really bad until, you know what follows the until? I went to her and repented and asked for her forgiveness for what I said. I didn't feel bad anymore. It's because God's law is on, it's in my mind and written on my heart. And when I violate it, I know it. And you do too. You know it too. Pay attention to your spirit. That's not, that's not the end of it. Ezekiel gets in the act too. Ezekiel says, God says through Ezekiel, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. Well, I never thought about this before. None of this happens except that we have Christmas. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God said, I'm going to put a new spirit within them. He says, they, that they may walk in my statutes. And that's not an order. That's not, I'm going to put my spirit in them and they better be walking. No, he's going to put a new spirit in us to enable us to walk in his statutes. We well, all looking at me like I got two heads. That they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. You see, you're going to keep the rules, but you keep them from the inside out now. It's not a set of, of, 
of rules and regulations and legalism. They shall be my people, and I will be their God because of Christmas. Lastly, because of Christmas, we have a sympathetic intercessor. We have a sympathetic. How can he be sympathetic? Well, listen. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. How can he be our sympathetic intercessor except that he was here? Because of Christmas, he walked the earth. He walked and lived as we do. Because of Christmas, he came to earth incarnate, Holy God, holy man, I mean, very God, very man. He comes to earth, and he lives on the earth, and because of that, he can now sit at the right hand of the Father with a sympathetic approach to us. He's not, he's not interceding on behalf of things that he doesn't understand. I've dealt with, uh, I'll share with somebody, that I've dealt with several people who had drug addictions, and I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Well, I have a clue. I send them to James Hambrick usually. I've never had a drug addiction. I never took drugs in my life other than the ones the doctor told me. And sometimes I don't even take those. Another story. But So I, I can't relate. When someone says to me, I, I just got to have more cocaine, I, I, I tell them, of course, I can't relate to that. I mean, I, I, I'm going to do what I can for you, but I can't personally understand what you're going through when, you, when you're driven to go find another fix. I can't personally. But Jesus personally relates to everything, to everything that we're tempted with, that we're bothered with. Why? Because of Christmas. Because he was here. He is not a high priest who doesn't sympathize. He knows what you're going through. So I, I don't think Jesus ever went what I went through. Well, let me read it to you again. For well, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in all things. Everybody say all things. As we are yet without sin. Whatever your all thing is, he, he knows what it feels. He knows what it feels like to be tempted with it. He never succumbed to any of it. But he knows what it feels like to be tempted in whatever it is that you're fighting today. He knows. He walked where we walked. Being born in the likeness of men. The Bible says God sent forth his son, born of a woman, so that he could be one of us, so that he could be our intercessor. As First John writes, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And that's pretty cool because he bore our sin, and yet he's called Jesus Christ, the righteous. Vindication. We have an advocate before the Father. And again, this advocate is not ignorant. This advocate is not just uh, arguing the law before the throne of God. This advocate is saying to the Father, I, I get it. I remember when I was tempted with that. I get it. I remember when I was tempted with that. I get it. I lived among them. I was part of them. I get it. An advocate is one who pleads another's cause with someone or an intercessor. And so then Hebrews 7 says, He always lives 
to make intercession for them or for you or for us. He always lives to make intercession. Because of Christmas, we have an intercessor sitting at the right hand of the Father who knows everything we went through because he was here. He lived on the earth, and he was our intercessor. Because of Christmas, we have a life of shalom. I'll talk about that more next week, but we have a life of shalom. We have that well-being and completeness. Because of Christmas, we no longer need to be governed by the bondage to sin. It's not necessary. Because of Christmas, we sing a new song. And we don't just sing it at Christmas. We have a new song in our hearts, and we sing it all year long. David talked about this when he said, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. A new song. Because of Christmas, you and I enjoy liberties today that but we couldn't enjoy if we were encumbered by the bondage of sin. Because of Christmas, we enjoy access to the throne of God today that we would not enjoy if it wasn't for Christmas. And as I said, you could just go unending blessings and reasons that we enjoy today, life that we enjoy today, because Jesus came to earth as one of us and was born in a stable, in a manger, lived on the earth for 33 and a half years, began his ministry somewhere around the age of 30, began to show us the way, being obedient to the Father, and then he did what he did, died on the cross, resurrected three days later, ascended to heaven with the great cloud of witnesses, in my opinion, to sit at that throne and be our intercessor. Aren't you glad of that? Well, then stand with me. Lord Jesus, we are grateful today. We are grateful that you came in obedience to the Father. And you came to earth through the womb of a young girl. We don't, we don't even come close to understanding that, except that we believe that it happened. And you were born that night, may not have been silent, but it sure was holy. And because of that, we, we have so many things to be grateful for today. Most of all, we're grateful that you thought of us. Most of all, Lord God, we're, we're grateful that you loved the world and we were part of the world. And because you loved the world, you gave. And you gave us your, your only son, your begotten son. Lord, throughout the year, never let us lose sight of what, what was the result of Christmas. We enjoy this time of year. We enjoy singing the songs and the, the festive activities that go on and the exchanging of gifts and all the things that we do during this season. May we never stop doing those, Lord God. But let us add to that our gratitude for all of these things that we have in our lives today because, Lord Jesus, you came to earth. We celebrate your birth. 
we celebrate your coming to earth. We celebrate that you were, you're completely God and completely man while you're on the earth. We worship you today, and we continue to worship you, and help us to worship you throughout the year because of Christmas. I pray in the name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Hmm? Thank you.